Are you familiar with Blood Brothers, with the idea of Blood Brothers? If you're of a certain age, you likely are. And the idea is that two men would cut their fingers or hands or maybe forearm, press them together, and blood would be exchanged between the two and they would become brothers, blood brothers. I mentioned this once in a homily, and it was so edifying because kids probably high school and younger, but certainly in elementary school, they were just shocked when I described what happened, what was done, the idea of blood brothers. I remember this young family close to the front, several kids in elementary school, and their faces just wrinkled up. And one of them looked at their dad like, no way. And the dad was there nodding his head. Yes, he's telling the truth. <laughs> What is so fascinating is there's just one generation difference there. And yet something that was commonplace or commonly understood in one generation seemed totally forward and repulsive to the next one. Just one generation difference. We shouldn't be surprised in that we find strange the actions in our first reading, which happened thousands of years ago. In the Old Testament, I can't recall if it was Leviticus or maybe Deuteronomy, there are directions saying that when Mother Nature calls, I'm paraphrasing, go outside the camp and take a stick. Use it to cover up what you left. Now, if you've got to give directions like that, you're in a very different world from the one in which we live. To ridicule and write them off simply as strange, though, would be Kind of like going back to most women in this country in the 1980s and criticizing them for their big hair. That's just the way things were back then. Maimonides, a 12th century Jewish philosopher, suggested regarding animal sacrifices that the Israelites in Moses' day couldn't conceive of a form of worship that didn't involve sacrifice. That was the norm in the ancient world. God is beyond time, but human beings live within time. In other words, we're conditioned by the time and place in which we live. God accommodates himself to our worldview and gradually works to mature us. If he didn't, it'd be something like Moses going to Pharaoh and saying, that a much better form of government is actually of the people, by the people, and for the people. It would have made no sense. The same is also true regarding slavery in the Bible, among other things. God accommodates himself to our limitations to expand our humanity. You have to wonder one day if future generations will look back similarly on us. They used to kill their own babies in the womb and justify it by saying that they had the right to do what they wanted with their own bodies, while at the same time mandating that everyone have injected into their body vaccines that have no long-term trial data. On the one hand, saying that because it's a woman's body, you can't constrain her to carry the baby to term, while on the other hand, you're saying, it doesn't matter if it's your body. 
will constrain you to perceive what we think is best. Maybe we're not as advanced or civilized as we might think. Now, think about what's happening in our first reading. Animals are split in two. That means this has, to, has something to do with death. There are forces, birds of prey, that seek to compromise or undermine what's happening. Abram, who will be the father of God's people, those who believe, has a part to play. He's involved in this ritual. He protects its integrity from something that would destroy it, compromise it. During the night, when darkness was all around, God, symbolized by smoke, cloud, and fire, or brightness, like during the Exodus and the Transfiguration, God passes through the animals, through death. God accepts the consequences of not fulfilling the promise he made to Abram and his offspring. Thus, a covenant is effected, like the covenant of marriage. Both are involved at this deep level of a pledge, which, if it has the capacity to do anything, marriage, as you know, it has the capacity to change things. It has the capacity to bring about change, transformation, transfiguration. Like God's revelation has done with mankind and world history. Like the incarnation, death, and resurrection of Jesus has done in a categorically new way. It was to this reality that Moses and Elijah, representing the law and all the prophets, had directed the Jews and gradually prepared them to receive. But notice how hard this was to understand and believe, even for Peter and the others. The Exodus stands behind both the Transfiguration and our first reading, even though it occurred long after this event with Abram. Every year since then, the Israelites celebrated the Feast of Booths or Tents or Tabernacles to commemorate their Exodus through the desert in which God pitched his tent among them leading them to the promised land, that space in which the Israelites could worship God unhindered and be light in the world. But they had been unfaithful to God, broke the covenant, and lost the land which had no purpose anymore with the widespread infidelity. The Feast of Tents looked forward to the day when God would return and deliver them once again. It was precisely within the days of this feast that Jesus was transfigured and Peter thought that the new geopolitical kingdom had begun. Finally, we'll be rid of the Romans. Let's make three tents, he said, which makes a lot of sense, but misses the point of what God was doing. God himself was being faithful to the covenant from his side and in Jesus from mankind's. He was preparing to pass through the consequences of the broken covenant and usher in something new. Listen to him, the voice said. 
he can mature you and transfigure you too. If only you would allow him to break through personal, societal, and cultural limitations and prejudices and do what you and the world need him to do.